Hello listeners, and welcome to the first episode of Horseshoe History. I'm your host, Isaiah Pedro. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the early timeline of the Indianapolis Colts. As many of you know, our Colts began as the Baltimore Colts in 1953. But what if I told you the team could be traced back quite a bit further than that? Although it is not recognized by the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts lineage can be traced back to one of the founding members of the NFL, the Dayton Triangles, who would start playing football in 1913 in the Ohio League. The Triangles had one player inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. His name was Alfred Greasy Neal. As was common in sports at this time, Neal would play football and baseball seamlessly switching sports as the seasons changed. Neal would also coach the teams he played on, which was another common practice during this era. He started his football career as a player for the West Virginia Wesleyan football team in 1913. Neal would then go on to coach for Muskingum University in 1915 before returning to coach West Virginia Wesleyan in 1916 and 1917, all while playing for the Cincinnati Reds of the Major League Baseball during this time. He would play the 1917 season with the Canton Bulldogs and in 1918 would become the player slash coach of the Dayton Triangles, all while still continuing his professional baseball career with the Reds. In 1919, he would play his last professional football season with the Massillon Tigers, would also coach Marietta College, and would play the 1919 World Series with the Reds. This World Series is remembered for the Black Sox scandal. Neal would jump around teams usually coaching for a year or two with the exception being five years he coached the Virginia Cavaliers from 1923 to 1928 and the nine years that he coached Philadelphia Eagles. While he was at Virginia, he was also the baseball coach from 1923 to 1929. Man, that was one busy guy. He would be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1967, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1969, and the Philadelphia Eagles Hall of Fame in 1987. The NFL was founded in 1920 as the American Professional Football Association and was renamed the National Football League in 1922. Over its first decade, the NFL had 18 teams in the league, although only four made it through the 20s. Those teams were the Chicago Cardinals, who are now known as the Arizona Cardinals, the Decatur Staley's, who are now known as the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers, and the Dayton Triangles. On October 3rd, 1920, the Triangles won what would be considered the first NFL game ever, a 14-0 defeat of the Columbus Panhandles. The high point of the Triangles' inaugural season was a 20-20 tie at Triangle Park against the Canton Bulldogs, who were led by Pro Football Hall of Famer and Olympic legend Jim Thorpe. Many of you have heard of Jim Thorpe and know how great he was, but in case you didn't know, here's a little bit more information about him. Jim Thorpe was named the greatest athlete by the Associated Press from the first 50 years of the 20th century. He started playing football and coaching for the Canton Bulldogs in 1915 and played for them until 1918 before returning for the 1919 and 1920 seasons and would play one more season with them in 1926. While playing football in 1915, he was also an assistant head coach with the Indiana University Hoosiers under Clarence Childs. Some other teams he would play slash coach for were the Oorang Indians, the New York Giants, and the Chicago Cardinals. In the year 2000, Thorpe was voted the greatest athlete of the 20th century, beating out other athletes like Muhammad Ali, Babe Ruth, Jesse Owens, Wayne Gretzky, Jack Nicholas, and Michael Jordan. Thorpe would be the first NFL commissioner from 1920 to 1921 and would later be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963. 
Six games into the 1920 season, the Triangles would remain undefeated with a record of 4-0-2, but in the final three games would lose twice to eventual league champions, the Akron Pros. In 1922, NFL teams started recruiting and signing top college players from around the country, however the Triangles would continue to use local players. This led to a steep decline in performance, which caused Dayton to be less competitive in the NFL. Due to the poor showing on the field, the Triangles were not able to draw big enough crowds for home games. Soon, with a combination of poor home game attendance and offers of $2,500 guarantees to play at larger stadiums like Wrigley Field and the Polo Grounds, Dayton would become a primarily traveling team. By the late 1920s, Dayton was starting to become a league doormat, winning 5 of their 51 games from 1923 until 1929. Only the revenues from playing on the road would help keep the team afloat. Also around this time, the NFL began to grow and move to bigger cities which led them to realize that smaller cities did not have the support for teams in this growing league. While the Triangles were one of the three founding teams to make it out of the 1920s, and the only team from the Ohio League to make it past 1926, they did not make it far into the year 1930. On July 12, 1930, the team was sold to a Brooklyn-based syndicate led by mobster Bill Dwyer and former football player Jack Depler for $2,500 and moved to Brooklyn to be known as the Brooklyn Dodgers. They would share the name with the baseball team already established there, which was a common practice in this time. Depler was the co-owner and coach for the newly minted Dodgers and brought over some players from his previous team from 1929, the Orange Tornadoes. The Brooklyn Dodgers were founded in 1930 and would suspend operations in 1945. They were known as the Dodgers from 1930 to 1943, the Brooklyn Tigers in 1944, and would combine with the Boston Yanks in 1945. The Brooklyn Dodgers had four players inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Morris Red Badgro, who was inducted in 1981, Benny Friedman in 2005, Frank Bruiser Kennard in 1971, and Clarence Ace Parker in 1972. Like Alfred Neal, Red Badgro played two sports, football and baseball. He would play for the New York Football Yankees from 1927 to 1928, go into Major League Baseball and play for the St. Louis Browns in 1929, return back to the NFL to play for the Giants from 1930 to 1935, and the Brooklyn Football Dodgers in 1936. He will forever be known as the first player to score a touchdown in the first NFL championship game. After ending his playing career in 1937, Badgro would return to his alma mater USC to finish up credits to graduate. While taking classes, he was a member of the football coaching staff responsible for working with freshman players. In 1938, he would be hired as the head football coach of the Ventura High School in Ventura, California. He would also spend time coaching football, baseball, and basketball at Ventura Junior College during this time. In June of 1939, he would be hired as an assistant coach responsible for defensive ends at Columbia University where he would remain until 1942. He would take a few years off before returning to coaching at the University of Washington as a defensive ends coach, sticking around until he resigned in 1954. When he was finally inducted in 1981 at the age of 78 into the NFL Hall of Fame, he was the oldest player admitted to Canton, holding the spot until 1997 when Wellington Marr was inducted at the age of 80. Benny Friedman played for the Cleveland Bulldogs in 1927, the Detroit Wolverines in 1928, the New York Giants from 1929 to 1931, and the Football Dodgers from 1932 to 1934. 
Due to stats being incomplete in this era, his numbers did not sound as good as one might think for a Hall of Famer. He would play in the NFL for 81 games, compiling 5,326 passing yards and 66 touchdowns to 51 interceptions. He was the NFL career leader in passing yards until 1947 when Sammy Baugh would pass him. He would also hold the record for most touchdowns thrown with 66. That doesn't sound like much considering Peyton Manning threw 55 in one season. While he was in the height of his playing career, Friedman was also an assistant coach at Yale in 1931 before moving to Brooklyn and becoming a player-slash-coach of the football Dodgers. Frank Bruiser Kennard played for the football Dodgers from 1938 to 1944, the Fleet City Navy football team in 1945, and the New York football Yankees in 1946 and 1947. Kennard was seen as one of the toughest players in the NFL. He played offense and defense, which was another common thing during this era. He was deemed small for a lineman, coming in at 210 pounds, but he would say, quote, I had enough ability to offset my size, and my speed was a lot better than any of the linemen, end quote. He was a two-way player known for his crushing blocks on offense and as a smothering dominant tackler on defense. He would be one of the Ironmen of the NFL, starting at tackle in every game from 1938 to 1944, except two of those. Those games would come in back-to-back -back in 1940 after an opposing player stepped on his hand and he contracted gangrene, which would threaten amputation. After playing, he would move on to coaching full-time, taking the line coach position at Ole Miss from 1948 to 1970, and the athletic director job at Ole Miss from 71 to 1973. Clarence Ace Parker played for the football Dodgers from 1937 to 1941. Parker would leave to join the United States Navy for World War II and would return to the NFL after his service in 1945, rejoining the team after their move to Boston to become the Yanks. He would then play for the football Yankees of the All-American Football Conference in 1946. Before becoming a pro football player, Parker played baseball for the Philadelphia Athletics, who are now known as the Oakland Athletics, and was the first American League player to hit a home run as a pinch hitter in his first at-bat. During Parker's football career, he would lead the league in passing in 1938 and would win NFL MVP in 1940 while leading the league in interceptions caught. Yet another player who would play offense and defense. After retiring from football, Clarence would become the head baseball coach from 1953 to 1966 at Duke University and the assistant football coach there from 1947 to 1965. At the time of Parker's death, he was the oldest living member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, passing away on November 12, 2013 at the age of 101. He is still the first and only player to live past his 100th birthday. He was one of two last living people to share the field with baseball immortal Lou Gehrig. By the end of the 1932 season, Bill Dwyer had decided he had enough of pro football and the team was sold to two former New York Giants players, Chris Cagle and John Sims Kelly, for $25,000. In the three years that Dwyer owned the team, it had ended up costing him an estimated $30,000, which in today's money would be close to $470,000. In 1934, the team was sold to Dan Topping, who would later become the owner and president of baseball's New York Yankees. I find it rather interesting that quite a few people own or have owned multiple sports franchises in different professional leagues, some still to this day. 
The football Dodgers would make history on October 22, 1939, when they played the Philadelphia Eagles in the first NFL game shown on television, winning 23-14. In 1940, the Dodgers hired Jock Sutherland as their coach. They would finish the season in second place of the Eastern Division, behind the team formerly known as the Redskins. In 1942, the team would end up in second place again, this time behind the New York Giants. Dodger running back Clarence Pug Manders would win the rushing title, leading the league with 486 yards. This title still represents the smallest number of yards carried to ever win the title. Starting in 1942, the team would go on a steep decline owing to many players including Ace Parker and Coach Sutherland leaving to join the military with World War II efforts. The team would sink to a 3-8 record and follow that up in 1943 by only winning two games. In 1944, they would be renamed the Tigers but would suffer through an 0-10 season. In a furious attempt for survival, the team would merge with the Boston Yanks for the 1945 season. This team would finish the season with a 3-6-1 record as many fans did not care for the team. In December of 1945, owner Dan Topping would announce his intentions to accept the All-America Football Conference's New York franchise. Here's where it begins to get a bit murky. When Topping decided to take the offer from the AAFC, the NFL canceled the Brooklyn Tigers team and assigned all the players to the Boston Yanks. This will not be the last time you hear about Dan Topping. Fun fact, the Boston Yanks are the only officially defunct team to have the overall number one draft pick in the NFL, selecting Frank Dantzwitz, a quarterback out of Notre Dame. Topping would go on to create the New York Football Yankees, who would be active from 1946 to 1949, and were not tied to the original New York Yankees, who were active from 1926 to 1929. After three unfortunate years, the Boston Yanks owner, Ted Collins, wanted to move the team to New York. Instead of an official relocation, he asked the team be folded and that he would be granted an expansion team as a federal tax write-off. The league would agree to this and he would become owner of the New York Bulldogs. The New York Bulldogs were founded in 1949 and changed their name to the New York Yanks for the 1950 and 1951 season and would fold at the end of the 51 season. In the 1940s and 50s, many teams would fold and start up elsewhere or combine with other teams to try and save money. The AAFC would emerge with the NFL in December of 1949, bringing along three teams, the Cleveland Browns, the San Francisco 49ers, and the first iteration of the Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore Colts team that was brought into the NFL would only last one season, and the only tie-in to our Colts would be one player, Art Donovan. Back to the New York Yanks. In the 1950 season, Ted Collins would move them to Yankee Stadium, combining them with the now-defunct New York Yankees of the AAFC, originally owned by Dan Topping. The 1950 season would begin well for the Yanks, as they would start out 6-1. Their defense had some rough games, and the team would go on a four-game losing streak, finishing 7-5, good enough for third place. 1951 would be a nightmare season for the team. Their biggest opponent of the year would be off the field against the New York Baseball Yankees. The Yankees did not want their field torn up while they played in the 1951 World Series, and this forced the Yanks to move their first two home games to Los Angeles and Detroit. They would encounter many bad games and rough weather during this season, leading them to a 1-9-2 finish. 
The New York Bulldogs slash Yanks have three Pro Football Hall of Famers that played for them and they drafted another. Bobby Lane was inducted in 1967, Art Donovan in 1968, and Mike McCormick in 1984. They drafted Doak Walker in 1949, but his rights were traded for Johnny Roush. You may recognize Walker's name from the NCAA. The award that bears his name is given to the top running back in college. Bobby Lane played for the Chicago Bears in 1948, the New York Bulldogs in 1949, the Detroit Lions from 1950 to 1958, and the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1958 to 1962. Lane would only be with the Bulldogs for one season before being traded to the Detroit Lions where he would make his mark on the league. His career would start out in an odd way as he was drafted into the NFL by the Pittsburgh Steelers but was also drafted into the AAFC by the Baltimore Colts. Lane had decided he did not want to play for Pittsburgh due to their use of the single wing formation as many teams had moved away from the style of offense. The rights to him would be traded to the Chicago Bears. He was offered $77,000 to play for the Baltimore Colts, but was quote, sweet-talked by George Hallis into signing with the Bears. Lane would be the third-string quarterback and decided after that season he wanted out of Chicago. He would be traded to the New York Bulldogs where he would start for the year at quarterback. After that season, he was traded to the Detroit Lions and would lead them to their first NFL championship in 17 years in 1952 before repeating in 1953. Lane would be traded one more time in 1958 to the team that originally wanted him, the Pittsburgh Steelers. He would play five more seasons before retiring before the 1963 season. Fun fact, there is said to be a Bobby Lane curse on the Detroit Lions. The Lions traded Lane to Pittsburgh for quarterback Earl Morrill, the same Morrill who would back up Johnny Unitas in Baltimore, and a few draft picks. He had supposedly said the Lions would not win for 50 years. Many called this a hoax, particularly because it was never published at the time. Over those next 50 years, the Lions would have the worst winning percentage of any team in the league. Detroit would win one playoff game 35 years after the, quote, curse was placed on the team. In the last year of the curse, 2008, the Lions would go 0-16. Art Donovan played for the Baltimore Colts of the AAFC, no relation to the Baltimore Colts of the NFL, in 1950, the New York Yanks in 1951, the Dallas Texans in 1952, and the Baltimore Colts, the one the NFL recognizes as connected to us, from 1953 to 1961. Mike McCormick played for the New York Yanks in 1951, the Dallas Texans in 1952, and the Cleveland Browns from 1954 to 1962. He would also coach the Baltimore Colts in 1981 and 1982. At the end of the 1951 season, the Yanks would be sold back to the league, but it's more likely the franchise was revoked and canceled. Soon thereafter, a group of Dallas businessmen would buy the Yanks roster and their player contracts and move the team to Dallas to play as the Texans. The Dallas Texans would only be in existence for one season. They would be the first ever major league team in Texas. They were bought by a pair of young millionaires, Giles and Connell Miller, essentially purchasing the Yanks and moving them, although the NFL saw it as a new team. The Texans would deal with the dismal season, finishing 1-11, the lone win coming against George Hallis and the Chicago Bears on Thanksgiving Day. The Miller brothers would sell the team back to the NFL on November 14th. 
The NFL would move the team to Hershey, Pennsylvania, but keep the team's name as the Dallas Texans, making them a traveling team. The NFL would be unable to find a buyer for the team and had decided to relocate the team after the 1952 season. A few months before that, the NFL would grant a new franchise to the city of Baltimore, an ownership group led by Carol Rosenblum, and would award the remaining assets of the Texans to the Baltimore team. Rosenblum would christen the team the Baltimore Colts, name them after the previous team to play in Baltimore. The Dallas Texans had two Hall of Famers play for them, as well as a few other well-known players. Art Donovan, as previously mentioned, and Gino Marchetti would be inducted in 1972. The team also had players like Jack Adkinson, who many wrestling fans would know as Fritz Von Erich, patriarch of the Von Erich family, and George Taliaferro, former player for the Indiana Hoosiers. Taliaferro would actually help break the color barrier, playing for the Hoosiers two years before Jackie Robinson sued up for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was also the first African American drafted into the NFL, although he chose to play for the Los Angeles Dons of the AAFC. Taliaferro would be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1981. So to quickly recap, the team started out as the Dayton Triangles in 1913, would join the NFL in 1920, and would remain in existence until 1929, where they were sold and moved to Brooklyn to become the Brooklyn Dodgers. The Dodgers would stay in Brooklyn, but would change their name in 1944 to the Tigers, before combining with the Boston Yanks in 1945. This team would last until 1948, when they were moved to New York to become the Bulldogs. They would stay in New York, changing their name in 1950 to the New York Yanks, due to them combining with the New York Yankees of the AAFC. The Yanks would fold after the 1951 season and would be sold to Dallas to become the Texans. The Texans would fold after the 1952 season and the remains would be sold to a group of people in Baltimore to become the Colts. While this is not acknowledged by the NFL, we can see that the Indianapolis Colts can be traced all the way back to the beginning days of football and the NFL. Whew, that was a lot. Hopefully you guys aren't as confused as I was. We will have a timeline up on our Twitter page to help explain a little bit more. Follow us on Twitter at Horseshoe History, and don't forget to follow and rate this podcast. Thank you for listening, and check in next week for our second episode of Fresh Start in Baltimore.